Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 245 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jeff Woods about The One Thing, a tool for focusing your productivity. Today's podcast is brought to you by iProtech, SaneBox, Alert Communications, and Ross Intelligence. We wouldn't be able to do this podcast without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Stephanie, congratulations on becoming our new president slash integrator at Lawyerist. Thanks, Sam. What's up, boss? I know. It's It's awesome. Hey, Stephanie, what the hell is an integrator? Yeah, we should tell people what that means. (laughs) So I think the best way to think about it is obviously examples are really helpful for me and that every great leadership team has two people, Mm -hmm. a visionary and an integrator. So for every Walt Disney, there was a Roy Disney, that person behind the scenes getting all the things done, Mm -hmm. right? You have the big idea person, and then you have the details person. So your visionary is your big ideas person, and then your integrator gets shit done. It's uh, Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. Exactly. Although now Tim Cook is the Steve Jobs, and the metaphor has gotten confused. Yes. Uh, This comes from a book called Rocket Fuel, which is part of the sort of traction EOS collection of systems and thinking about running a business, right? Yeah. And it made sense. I knew the concept like intuitively. And then when I read the book and had, we'd been using traction, obviously it was like, yes, this makes sense. And they even have an assessment in the rocket fuel book. If you're curious that you can take and you can see, we didn't ask you to take the assessment before we offered you the job. (laughs) So did it come out? Okay. Yes. It was very in line (laughs) with what I knew would be the case. I am in fact more naturally inclined to be an integrator than a visionary. And Mm -hmm. so some people are both, I think you and Aaron took it and found yourselves more. I, I don't remember how I came out. Aaron is unusual in the sense that he is sort of split between the two although stronger on the visionary. I think that's the challenge, though, for solo practitioners, right, is you have to be both. And, you know, as we've talked about time and again on the podcast and in lab and and at LabCon and when we talk, one of the first things you have to decide for yourself is should you be running your practice or working for it? Do you want to serve clients or do you want to run a business? And I think one of the underlying things there is in the visionary integrator framework, there are a lot of people who are neither. Mm. They aren't the person who is well-suited to lead a firm to create strategy or to take that strategy and turn it into a to-do list and an HR plan and a procedures manual and, and get shit done in the firm. Yeah. I mean, I think the key is sort of the know thyself and really taking a step back and thinking about what you're good at and maybe where you struggle mm-hmm. so that you can get help where you need it and fill those holes. And so, I mean, if it wasn't obvious on our team, Aaron had previously kind of been wearing both hats for us, which is a lot and it's hard to do. And so with our latest decision, (laughs) you guys asked me and I said yes. And so now I'm stepping up and playing a new role on the team. I'm not leaving my community role. I still do all the things that I used to do and and lead our lab program and insider program. But now internally for our team, I am in this new integrator role and helping really communications across all of our teams and holding all of our different teams accountable. 
which I'm excited for the challenge and the opportunity to do. And I do think it's really well suited with my skill set. So do we. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what our experience shows, too, is that even with somebody who scores very highly on both sides of that assessment, it turns out not to be very realistic to expect one person to wear both hats. It's hard. We were burning Aaron out. And I think if you are trying to wear both hats in your own firm and you're feeling that similarly, that's probably a part of why. Yeah. So if that's something that you're struggling with, it might be time to step back and think about where do you naturally feel your talents are? Where can you get help? It doesn't have to mean that you hire a full-time person if that feels like too much for your firm right now. Mm -hmm. But I do think you would really benefit from understanding those different hats that you're wearing when you're wearing them. And what pressures that puts on you because you need to think sometimes you need to think like a visionary and what does that mean versus now it's time to actually manage and get things done and hold people accountable would you recommend rocket fuel for firm leaders maybe yeah i mean i think if you've read traction to be fair gina wickman wrote both and he had a co-author for rocket fuel obviously So I'm one of those people, like I read Traction first and I got the concept. There were a few things in Rocket Fuel that I picked up that were a little bit different. So it was worth a quick read. It is a quick read. And for me, it was like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was kind of the reaction. It definitely hit on, there were a couple of things I picked up that I didn't get just from reading Traction. So if you really want to incorporate this and and for us, Aaron reread it as well so that we could use this as a tool as we sort of start to define what this really means for our day to day. So I think Mm -hmm. in that sense, it's helpful. I would read Traction first if you are new to these concepts. I think that's right. Yeah. So to sum up, congratulations. Thank you. And for all of you who are insiders, or if you aren't yet, I don't even know why you're waiting, go to our website and get a free account. You are now entitled to affinity benefits. What that means is discounts on the products and services that we've identified as being some of the most valuable. And the way to find these is to go to the community menu, click on Insider, or go to any of the pages under Reviews, which are our product pages, and look for the little Insider Benefits badge on them. Or if you just go to the Insider page, you can see a list of all of the companies who are our affinity partners who are offering discounts. And when you go to their page, right up at the top of the page, you can claim your benefits when you are signed in. And that's how you can get those discounts. Some of them are available to only new customers, some to new and existing customers or just existing customers. And you can find that out. The information is right there on those pages. So you might as well go there and save some money. Yeah, I love saving people money. (laughs) And now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Derek Miller from iProTech and then my conversation with Jeff Woods about the one thing. I'm Derek Miller, Vice President of Desktop Solutions for iProTech. Hi, Derek. Thanks for being with us again today. Uh, You were telling me about some PDF redaction disasters you've seen recently that show what happens when you use software correctly, but for a purpose for which it is not intended. Tell us what you've seen. Yeah, recently in the news, there was the story of redacted information that was erroneously or accidentally exposed because of the tools that were used to do the redaction. It's probably not the first or the last time that'll happen, but yeah. <laughs> in this instance, it was more of an issue of uh, understanding how that technology works versus the tool that was used. And that could be the bigger problem when it comes to selecting tools for the toolbox. So in this case, uh, remind me, what was the situation and what was the tool that went wrong? Basically, the situation was they went through and they redacted some grand jury information. Mm-hmm. And you know the software did work it was as intended, and it did redact, but that doesn't mean it was permanent or fixed. And so they were able to highlight, copy, and paste 
and then show what that redacted information was. And this is kind of the situation where someone drew black boxes over the document, which works if you're going to print it, but doesn't actually redact the digital information from the file. Correct. So, you know, when you've got an image or you've got text, you can put a black box over it all you want, but that doesn't mean that the underlying data is not still there. And so while they did choose a redaction tool, that doesn't mean that that information still wasn't available. So how can lawyers make sure that when they are redacting PDF documents or other digital documents, they're doing it correctly? Well, that, that's kind of the challenge is, is in picking the right tool for the right job. And based on this recent experience, anyone doing redactions and producing redacted documents is probably going to make sure that they understand how those redactions work and will be a little more careful <laughs> not with that type of mistake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a couple of steps that should be taken is to make sure you have the right tool in your toolbox. So use software that's specifically designed to redact and produce those redactions accurately and correctly. And then as part of the functionality of the software, you want to make sure that it does a couple of things like automatically re-OCR the document to remove any of the text under the redaction, mm. run validations to ensure that the redactions are burned in and the text is correct, and then be able to create layered redactions so that multiple production sets can be sent to multiple parties. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to most of that functionality in the iPro for Enterprise or iPro for Desktop products, there's a feature called Production Shield that identifies those type of documents that need that added layer of review before they're produced. So it can help you keep from making mistakes. It's kind of like the email feature that reminds you that you meant to attach something. Exactly. It's right along those same lines of, you know, did you mean to attach something that thought so? It works in a very similar way where it kind of identifies those documents that, hey, you may want to check these just to make sure that the redaction is correct and that there's no underlying text or anything that would inadvertently get disclosed. That sounds pretty handy. Listeners, if you want to learn more about iProTech and how it can help your firm with e-discovery, including making sure that you don't forget to redact things that you meant to, visit iProTech.com slash lawyerist. That's I, the letter I, ProTech.com slash lawyerist. Thanks so much for being with us again today, Derek. Thank you. Hey there, I'm Jeff Woods, host of The One Thing Podcast and run the company behind the best-selling book, The One Thing. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for being with us today. So tell me, first of all, about the book itself and where it came from. I think that might be useful background. Sure. The book was published in 2013. And since that time, it's become one of the highest rated business books of all time. Yeah. I think part of the reason for that is that it's about the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. It was co-authored by two guys. One, his name is Gary Keller, which if you've ever heard of Keller Williams, the real estate company, mm -hmm. it's the largest real estate company in the world. It's that Gary Keller. And these are the principles that Gary used to scale KW from a little company in Austin to now 200,000 people across the world. So it was written by him and his co-author, Jay Papazan. And uh, it's just been a game changer in terms of changing the way people view time. For sure. And obviously, we'll throw the link into the uh, show notes if people want to check out the book. Probably should, you know, it being a big deal in um, <laughs> what is the core idea here? What is the one thing? What does that all mean? Yes. The one thing is it's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary. Hmm. A visual way to think of this is imagine a time in your life that you lined up dominoes how if you lined them up correctly, you didn't have to knock each one down individually. Mm. What did you do? Everything just kind of flows one from the other. They just all knock each other down. Correct. You just knock down that lead domino and they all fall. 
there's a challenge with this that most of us face every day and we don't realize. And it's the challenge of life. Every day we wake up and there's all these things we could know. There's all these things we could have and there's all these things we could do, but we can't know it all because life's too complex. We can't have it all because life offers us too much and we can't do it all because our time is limited. And what this means is that we have to make choices about what we want and how we go about getting it. And the reason this is foundationally a challenge is we, every single day, we fall trapped to the number one lie of productivity, Mm -hmm. which is the lie that everything matters equally. We go through our days, checking email, going to meetings, checking email, getting distracted by people asking, hey, do you got a minute? And we fast forward to the end of the day going, I was busy, but did I get anything done? Gotcha. It's because we didn't actually look at all the things that are on our plate and line them up and be clear that if there was only one thing we could do, this is the one thing and we would whack away at it until it falls. Is this a day by day practice or a big picture lifetime practice? Is this like zero dreams of sushi or is this my most? important task for the day kind of a thing both okay we all have a one thing a big one thing which can be purpose Mm -hmm. what is your purpose why are you here what is that one thing and then there's the one thing which is how do you be appropriate in the moment and let's acknowledge when we go into into companies there's often this misnomer they go hey i I have to do more than one thing right we acknowledge that absolutely the question is when you are showing up to the office What's the one thing you can do that would make everything else easier or unnecessary? And when you're home, what's the one thing you can do Mm -hmm. to be the best parent, to be the best husband? When you are at the gym, what's the one thing you can do for your fitness? We all have more than one thing. It's about in the moment. If you could only do one thing, are you doing the thing that actually makes the biggest impact? I'm intrigued that this book was written by at least one of the authors, a CEO, because to a certain extent, I think a CEO's job is to allow themselves to be distracted by the people around them who need their help getting things done. Mm, we would completely argue against that. Tell me more. Yeah. A CEO's job, depending on your strengths, but there's a few things that are usually fall to the CEO. One is vision. Mm-hmm. They got to chart where we are going. Two, it's people, making sure that you have the right talent in your world and the right people reporting to you as the CEO. And if that's not your strong point, then you better have a great COO who's owning that. Mm -hmm. And usually there's a third, which is driving revenue. But what a CEO's job is not is being available to everyone at all times. I suppose that's you're sort of taking what I said and flipping it. Like if your job is managing people, that is your focus. And it doesn't just mean doing whatever people want. It's focusing on how can you do the best possible job of managing those people. Now, this is interesting. I remember an early mastermind that Gary was teaching. It was for some of the top business owners inside the ecosystem. And he got up on the whiteboard and he drew two org charts On the left, he drew an org chart with a CEO and five people reporting to that CEO. And then he drew a line to separate the left side of the chart from the right. Mm -hmm. And then he drew another one where he drew the exact same thing, a CEO with five people reporting them. But then those five people had five people and those five people had five people. And then under the two on the left, he wrote the number six because that's how many people were on that org chart. And on the right, he wrote (laughs) 200,000. And he asked, what's the difference in terms of people that made the difference? And the answer was the five people that reported to the CEO on the right. Mm. See, a CEO's job is to recognize that they have a shelf life. Very few CEOs last the test of time. Gary would say the average CEO probably has a good run of about five years. 
Hmm. And the five people that are reporting to the CEO on the right are empire builders. They are people who are not only talent for their role today, but they have the capacity to replace the CEO. Because if you don't have that level of talent reporting to you, then you are shackled to your job. Gotcha. And that's one of the challenges we see with business owners, especially in the legal industry is, hey, okay, you got your degree, you built up a practice, but do you ever find yourself struggling to scale the business while still dealing with administrative, while still generating billable hours, while it's just... You're tied to it yeah. versus looking at it as though my job is actually not to manage people. My job is to attract extraordinary talent and to become a great coach for them so that they can succeed without me. So why one thing? What's the harm in focusing on two things? Well, there's a great Russian proverb that if you chase two rabbits, you catch neither one of them, mm. right? <laughs> it's, and it's not that you only do one thing. Extraordinary success is sequential, not simultaneous. Gotcha. It's just one thing at a time. I like the Russian proverb because uh, it makes a ton of sense. It's like the argument against multitasking. It's the argument against just splitting your energy. You really can only get into one thing at a time, can't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you nailed it with multitasking, which is the second lie of productivity. The studies show that we actually waste 28% of our time because we multitask. Mm-hmm. And when our researchers dove in and figured out, okay, well, where did multitasking originate? It started back with computers, but people misunderstood what it was. Computers don't do two things simultaneously. They had two operating systems, but one was happening at a time. Mm -hmm. And yet when you fast forward and you look to our culture today, I mean, a lot of us were told, if you want to be productive, you got to be a great multitasker. It used to be something you'd put on a, on a resume as a strength and... We can all think of that time that we were checking an email and halfway through the email, the phone rang. We looked at it. We answered the call. We had the quick conversation. We hung up. We looked back at the email and we went, where was I? Oh yeah. Let me just reread the whole thing. That gap right there is called a switch cost. Right. And the studies show that that leads to us wasting 28% of our time. There's a lot of overlap here with Cal Newport's deep work ideas. Exactly. Where he's just like, look, clear the deck and focus on the most important thing that you've got, the thing that you're really trying to accomplish. It sounds very similar. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a conversation with him. Uh, it was, I think it was episode 75 on the One Thing podcast. We yeah. just, they're very, very similar. I forgot to start out by mentioning your podcast, by the way. What is it called? The One Thing. The One Thing. All right. <laughs> That's another link that we'll include in the show notes and people should check that out too. So it's the, I believe it's the second most popular business podcast. Did I hear that right? Sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm trying to quote from your website from memory. Let's put it this way. I don't spend too much time looking at reports. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Why don't we take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors and we come back. I want to talk about how to pick the thing or the things. We'll be right back. A legal-only call center, Alert Communications has been helping law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake for over 50 years. Alert responds to and captures all leads for your law firm efficiently using their highly trained intake specialists and software solutions. They work 24-7, 365 as an extension of your law firm in both English and Spanish. Alert strives to set best practice standards within the mass tort legal community by using ethical ideals, in turn elevating the quality of client services and earning the trust of attorneys. To find out how Alert can increase your mass tort or class action lead conversion rates, call 844-MY-INTAKE or find them at alertcommunications.com. 
Longtime podcast listeners and lawyerist readers know that Sam and I get pretty excited about email productivity tips, but we know that most people don't have the time or energy to be email productivity nerds like us. So it's great that SameBox will take care of fixing your inbox for you. I've used SameBox for a while now, and it automatically organizes your incoming email into smart folders so you don't have to be overwhelmed by a busy inbox and don't have to see important client emails next to junky coupon offers, distracting you from the work you need to do. Best yet, SameBox learns with you, so if you find it puts something in the wrong folder, just move it, and SameBox will automatically learn your preference. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. It's so simple, you won't need to learn anything to use it. It just takes care of everything itself. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created, so it will definitely work for you. Get a free two-week trial and a $25 credit by visiting samebox.com slash lawyerist today. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash lawyerist. With Ross Intelligence, lawyers conducting legal research leverage AI to get to the heart of legal issues fast. Ask a query in natural language on the Ross legal research platform, and Ross will return on-point case law. Attorney Jonathan Udoka says he's able to use Ross as though it were a first-year associate doing top-flight legal research. At $89 a month, Ross is not only fast and intuitive, it's also affordable. See what Ross can do. Go to rossintelligence.com lawyerist today and get a 14-day free trial. Use the promo code lawyerist for 10% off your first-year subscription. Okay, Jeff, so we're back. So hopefully people are sympathetic to the idea of focusing on one thing at a time. How do you decide what is your thing? What is the thing to pick? Uh, it's such a great question. And I remember hearing Jay saying, if you don't know what your one thing is, what do you think your one thing is? <laughs> and I remember going to find out what my one thing is. He goes, exactly. <laughs> Before we get into this, I want to acknowledge something. Uh, we had a guy named Keith Cunningham on the podcast recently. The episode was the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it. This guy literally lost $100 million and out of it, he formed one habit that made it worth it all. And it was the habit of sitting down for time to think, to answer a really great question. Mm -hmm. and he said something profound. He said, smart people have great answers geniuses have great questions. We share this with you because your journey to living the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results is founded in your ability to ask great questions and search for the answer. Hmm. So part of identifying what your one thing is, is understanding that this is a journey. The focusing question of the book is what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. Now let's break that down because it's really powerful if you understand it. It's what's the one thing, not the two things, not the three things, not everything. You only get to choose one. And it's one thing you can do. What we mean by that is imagine a two-inch domino. It's so small that with the flick of a finger, it falls. It's not the thing that you feel like you should be able to do, or you'll feel guilty if you don't do it, or the business requires you to do it, but it seems overwhelming. It's one thing that you can do, such that by doing it, meaning you actually do it, because your dominoes are lined up, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. Yeah, I think this is why it resonates so much with me and with us at Lawyerist because, I mean, one of our deeply felt values is finding the lever. Yeah. We are a small team. We have limited resources. And so every time we look at a big project and we get overwhelmed, we try to stop and say, hold on. Like, what is the thing that we can do that we, like, it's kind of the 80-20 idea, right? Like, how can we use our limited resources to get 80% of the benefit and, and not worry about perfect, right? What's the lever that makes it all work? Yes, 
Yes. So can I turn the tables and ask you (laughs) what I want to do is I want to model what this looks like. Okay. When we go into companies, this is an exercise we will facilitate because it's less about you listening to this show and going, I know what my one thing is more about you knowing how to discover what your one thing is so that you can do it for the rest of your life and then turn around and empower those in your world to do it as well. Well, I'm all nervous now, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, this this will be fun. (laughs) Let me ask you, out of all the areas of your life, spirituality, physical health, your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, your finances, if there was one that we wanted to focus on first, not to say that you can't improve in all the areas, but if there was one you really wanted to focus on first, which would it be? At the moment, for the last couple of weeks, uh, my easy answer would be fitness. Okay, excellent. So we, we isolate an area. And re- I'm going to pull the curtain back and walk you through why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. It's because, again, we're acknowledging that your one thing for fitness might be different than your one thing for your spirituality, might be different than the one thing for your marriage or relationship with kids or your business or your finances. They can be different. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at fitness, we would then ask the focusing question, what's the one thing you can do for your fitness? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. Get up at 530 every morning and get out the door for at least a half an hour. Okay. Why is that important to you? If you do that, what becomes possible? I think, and I've been, I guess I'm taking, maybe I'm taking the easy way out because I've been doing this for two weeks now. (laughs) But I find that if I wake myself up and stand up straight at 530 in the morning, and if I've laid out my clothes the night before, I'm going to do something. I may run, I may bike, I may walk briskly, but I'm going to get out that door and I'm going to get in my exercise for the day. Okay. So getting up at 530 is the most important thing I can do. Awesome. Here's the pitfall people fall into. They'll think that we just identified the one thing. <laughs> I actually heard three things. Yeah. Get up at 530, put my clothes on, and get out the door. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you the question. What's the one that makes the others easier or unnecessary? Well, I think the number one thing that I have to do is get up and stand up. <laughs> okay. So it's get up at 530. Yeah. Okay. Because you know that if you get up at 530, you're more likely to put on your clothes, the gym clothes. And if you put on the gym clothes, you're more likely to get outside the door. And if you get outside the door in your gym clothes, you're more likely to do something physically. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. People here probably think, oh, we just got it. 530. That's the lead (laughs) domino. Although like that feels to me like a, a microcosm of this entire thing, which is like, People may be going, yeah, duh, focus, it's important. But just like starting a running habit, it's really simple, but it's really hard to execute on. When people think, oh, I want to transform my health, I just need to get up earlier to wake up. And then we go, Mm -hmm. great, let's look at your track record. Do you have a track record of getting up by 5.30? A lot of people will say no. We say, then that's not the lead domino. What's the one thing you can do that would make getting up at 5.30 easier? You got to back it up until you can actually get in there. What would that be? (laughs) Setting the alarm. Oh. (laughs) Going to bed early enough. Okay. But see, see, and here's what we're doing here. One of the biggest challenges people have, we're really good at setting goals, Mm -hmm. getting clear on the results that we want in our life. That's really true, isn't it? Yeah. That's thinking big. What we're terrible at is going small. Identifying the lead domino that is so small that with the flick of a finger it falls, but because they're lined up, everything else falls too. And this doesn't just happen in our personal life. This happens inside our organizations. This happens inside our firms. We can look at the number of billable hours that we want to do in the year, and it can be overwhelming. We might say, oh, well, I need to do X number of hours a week. But we stop there versus saying, what's the one thing I could do? such that by doing it would make generating that number of hours easier or unnecessary. It's baby steps. It's starting small and building on it. It's It's building all the way back. And you know you arrived at a correct lead domino 
if it is so small, so simple that you feel like it's cheating. <laughs> we literally did it. We did a workshop for a Fortune 50 company last week. And when we got the surveys back, it was all really good stuff. My favorite comment of all of them, though, was one from a person that said, this was too simple. It should be more complex. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, it, the one yeah. thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. And mm -hmm. let me reinforce it from a high level. We all have a lot of things that are going on in our lives. And if we look at any single one of the areas of our life, we can get clarity on the result we're looking for. It's about getting out of the result and identifying the activity we can do that is so small that with the flick of a finger it falls. But because it's lined up, it makes everything else possible. That's the one thing. And then it's about, can you time block meaning put time on your calendar or your paper planner to do that one thing. And can you protect that time block? That makes so much sense to me, but I think it's in the execution, people feel like, well, you know, what I need to do is I need to get eight hours of client work in, whether I'm billing by yeah. the hour or not. Right. And that's great. But if you, if you're currently only getting three hours a day in setting your goal of eight is totally unrealistic, set it at two, <laughs> you know, like make sure that you can get two in every day and then shoot for two hours and 10 minutes. You know, like, can I share, build. can I share a real world example of this? Please, yeah. My first 90 days of starting this company, which for, to give people an understanding, Gary's one thing is being chairman and CEO of Keller Williams. Mm -hmm. Jay's one thing is writing books. They needed somebody who could make turning the one thing into a company. That's my one thing. Mm -hmm. When I started this company with Gary and Jay, they shared a powerful quote with me. That's from the book, which is people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. Mm. And their habits decide their futures. That's from FM Alexander. And they said, okay, it takes on average 66 days to form a habit. You need to go on what we call a 66 day challenge, which we've got this nice PDF where it's got, it's a calendar with 66 spots. You write your one thing in the top right corner. And every day you do your one thing, you put a big red X on it because pretty soon it becomes less about doing the activity and more about not breaking the chain. Mm -hmm. It's personal accountability, which people can check that out at the one thing.com. That's what the number one in the URL click on free stuff. It'll be there. I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it totally works. I've even done it with my five-year-old. That's a different story. <laughs> Jay said, the fastest way to get out of business with us is to not live the book. And the book is about habits. So what's the first 66 day challenge you will go on? And I knew at my heart that for me to be the best business owner possible, for me to make sure that I didn't just move my family from Southern California to Austin for no reason, I needed to form a habit of priority. I need to become the type of person who acted in order of priority, meaning I did what mattered most first. And so I asked the question, what's the one thing I can do that would make acting in order of priority easier or unnecessary? And the answer was I'd first and foremost have to think in order of priority. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what's the one thing I can do so that I would think in order of priority? Well, I would have to know what my priorities were every day. What's the one thing you can do to know your priorities every day? I could fill out a 411, which is a template we train companies to use so that every person has clarity on their priorities. And what's the one thing I could do that would make sure you, I would actually use my 411? Hmm. I would check my 411 before I checked my email. Which seems like such a brainlessly easy thing. <laughs> yeah. And what I was really saying is I would check my priorities before I checked everyone else's. Mm -hmm. Because make no mistake about it, for most of us, the inbox is just a bunch of 80% stuff that everybody else needs from us or mm -hmm. wants from us. But it's very rarely do our priorities live in our inbox. Now, when we talk about attorneys, yes, you work with clients through the inbox and whatnot. But I would ask you, if we followed you around with a camera and recorded your screen, 
would your email, your time in your inbox actually reflect the 20% work that's going to get 80% of your results done? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, probably not for many. (laughs) So for me, it was just about, could I physically look at my list of priorities before I checked my email? And here's Mm -hmm. what ended up happening. Because when we talk about, oh, I need to do eight billable hours. For me, I needed to generate revenue. Because I looked at my list of priorities, I saw my version of billable hours. And before I even allowed the world to start screaming all the urgent, unimportant things at me, I just started moving the ball on that first. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I knocked four hours out right then and there. It might've been 10 minutes, but sometimes it expanded to a half hour. Sometimes it went for an hour. Sometimes it went for two. And over roughly 66 days, I became the type of person who thought until my number one priority is done, everything else is a distraction. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you are aware of this, but your 66-day calendar made me think of Simone Yach, who is better known as the queen of shitty robots. She built the everyday calendar on that same idea, which is like it's an electronic light-up calendar that you stick on your wall, and every day that you do your one thing, you you touch the day on the calendar, and it's the idea that by looking at it every day, you will have that pressure to keep your streak alive. It's kind of a neat, another way to do it. I'm going to have to look that up. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. So, uh, Jeff, I'm curious. Maybe we've already covered some of these, but When you're helping people uncover their one thing, move forward on their one thing, get started on it, what are some of the biggest either objections or challenges apart from it's not complicated enough? There's a few things, which is one, people think that leadership has to be on board to make this work. We believe that all leadership begins with self-leadership. Yeah. The reason that we've broken into the Fortune 50 is not because the C-level read the book and said, I want to bring this to the organization. It was because one individual contributor read the book and started living it and started talking about it. And ultimately, they joined one of our community programs and kept living it and kept living it and kept talking about it. And over time, it was this grassroots movement of people who started to live the one thing to the point that it worked its way up to getting executive support to now it's becoming part of their culture. Yeah. The idea that you would need anyone's approval to do one thing that will make yourself more productive or better um, seems a little silly to me, but okay. And and the (laughs) the second is corporate culture today is not set up to help you live the one thing. Mm -hmm. I shared it early. When people get to the office, what's the first thing they do? Uh, Either chat or check their email, I assume. Right. And they do that until they go to a... Oh, definitely a meeting. Yeah. And then they get out of the meeting, ask, what should I be doing right now? (laughs) They find that they have five minutes till their next meeting. So what do they do? Probably fart around, uh, chat with somebody, uh, check the snack room, uh, something like that. Yeah. Not work. Or check email. Yep. And then they go to that meeting and they get out. And when they're on their way to doing something else, somebody stops by and says, do you got a minute? Our corporate culture is not set up for it. And that's just because nobody's been intentional with it. We hope to change that. But part of this is people will say, fine, I got clarity on my one thing. I put time blocks on my calendar, but then my boss swoops in and tells me they need me to do something else. Or I was working on this priority and then all of a sudden the priorities changed. Right. Which happens all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's less about having absolute clarity on what your one thing is in the world revolving around you and more about you as a culture developing a common language mm-hmm. that's founded in respect. My content strategist said something. She said, the one thing is the ultimate language of respect. Mm. 
Because when I can acknowledge that you have a one thing and I have a one thing and they might be different, yet we still need to work together, that's actually respecting one another. Mm -hmm. To think that I have one thing and I need you to stop doing what you're doing and always be available to me, that is not respectful. So it's about how do we develop a type of language where we at least have clarity on what our priorities are so that when requests come in, when priorities change, we can say, awesome. My one thing currently is this. I'm hearing you say I need to do this, which is actually more important. Right. That is such a valuable conversation to be having that you can't have if you're constantly asking your inbox what you should be working on at this moment, right? Like you you have to be intentional. I've come up with my own version of this, which allows me to have a conversation with my colleagues around what are going to be the most important things for me to be working on over the next week or two. Correct. And then it allows me to then, as other things come in, to slot them in behind and say, nope, I've cleared the decks to work on this thing for the next couple of days. So unless it's on fire, we're going to move it back. And we, we have those respectful conversations about priorities, but, yep. but you can't have that if you're letting your email inbox or your colleagues or your boss dictate what you're doing all the time, which even just saying that I can hear the objections, but no, no, if my boss tells me to do something, yeah, but help your boss understand where the thing he or she just asked you to do sits in your list of other things that you need to do. Yep. I've actually got a a great story of somebody in our community who is an attorney. So she's an attorney in Jersey for a, a decent sized firm. And when she came across the one thing, she was, her life was in shambles. She was saying, we, we, we actually recorded this conversation. It was episode 186 of the one thing hmm. ever since she was a kid. She always knew she wanted to be an attorney, hmm. went to law school, started working in the firm all along setting the goal of one day I'll make partner. Literally the day she made partner, she found out she was pregnant with her first child mm-hmm. and very quickly started to go, how am I going to make this work? Well, you fast forward, her daughter is four months old and Casey is working 80, 90 hour weeks And when she's at the office, she's feeling guilty because she's not with her kid. And when she's at home, she's feeling guilty because she didn't get her number of billable hours in. So once the kid goes to bed, she's doing all her billable hours till two in the morning. And then her daughter wakes up because she needs to feed. And before you know it, Casey's getting only a few hours of sleep a night. Mm Mm-hmm. And her trick for falling asleep was to read a trashy book. And so she got her Kindle app out and said, let me find a trashy book. And she came across the one thing and thought, this will put me to sleep. (laughs) And before you know it, she doesn't go to bed Mm -hmm. because her mind is racing. And she had this massive aha, which was the way her comp was structured. 75% of her comp came from billable hours. 25% came from bringing in new business. She opened up her calendar and realized 80% of her time was spent in biz dev and only 20% of her time was in billable hours. Sure. And then she started to see all these committees, all these meetings that she had to go to. And so one thing at a time, she just removed herself from those meetings. Yeah. She said, I'm no longer (laughs) able to attend these. And she sent it to one person and one person said, no problem. And it gave her the confidence to remove herself from all the others. She literally said there was 20 hours of meetings a week that she was committed to that suddenly she wiped off and then she found an assistant so that her assistant could hold the standard for her calendar and said, I'm only allowed to have one appointment a day that is not directly related to billable hours. Hmm. And it became her assistant's job to protect that rule. Before you know it, Casey cut her work hours by 40% and more than doubled her income. Our listeners will obviously recognize in this what we feel is a giant problem with the legal industry, which is the emphasis on billable hours, but I totally get that. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the idea. Your time is yours. And whether you realize it or not, you are making a choice on if you are going to invest your time or spend your time. And there is a difference. Spending, it goes out with no return. Investment, you're making an investment and it comes back to you. 
you're making a choice, whether consciously or not, on what you're saying yes to. The question is, how can you be intentional? So speaking of being intentional, let's say we've inspired somebody, maybe they read the book and this has refreshed their memory and, or maybe they're going to run out and pick the book. Apart from doing the reading, what is the next thing somebody should do who wants to get started on focusing on one thing at a time? I would ask you to model the exercise that we did here. Pick an area of your life, whether it be your spirituality, your physical health, your personal life, your relationships, job, business overall, your finances. Just pick one to start and ask the focusing question. What's the one thing I can do for that area of my life such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? And really follow the dominoes back, right? Yep. And here's the two follow-up questions. If your answer is a result ask the focusing question again. What's an example of an answer that would be a result? Uh, fitness. I want to transform my health. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what's the one thing you can do to transform your health? I'm going to exercise more. Well, what's the one, or I'm going to lose weight. That's a result. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's the one thing you can do to lose weight? I'm going to exercise more. And if your answer is vague like that, not specific and measurable, ask, how will I know if I was successful in exercising more? I'd be exercising five days a week. Okay. So what's the one thing I can do to exercise five days a week? Get up earlier. How will you know if you got up earlier? By 5.30 a.m. Well, what's the one thing you can do to get up by 5.30 a.m.? Turn the TV off by 8.30. <laughs> That's the lead domino. This, together with what you said earlier about understanding the question, really reminds me of the design process, where you start by trying to understand the question and not assuming you know what the problem is. And mm -hmm. I guess without really understanding the design process at one point in my life, I've gradually started to understand that that was actually the key to everything because once you can understand the entire problem, the question, those first principles, the first one thing, uh, the first domino, usually everything else just does kind of fall into place. The answers kind of present themselves at that point. Yes, it's correct. Which is the stupid, simple, but really true and thing that is just so obvious in retrospect, but never in before you start the exercise. Mm -hmm. So what we would suggest is for you to identify a lead domino. It's an activity that's so small that with a flick of a finger, it falls. And mm -hmm. we would encourage you to go on a 66 day challenge to make it a habit. Download a 66 day challenge calendar on the one thing.com and just start doing it. You would be amazed because once you form a habit of doing your one thing, it requires little discipline, little willpower. It's a lock. It just starts to happen. And then the halo effect starts to take over because it starts to shine down in other areas of your life. And then you start to realize, oh my gosh, people do not decide their futures. Mm -hmm. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. Now you're playing a whole new ball game. Very cool. Honestly, for listeners, if you're engaging in this exercise, I think this would be a perfect thing to share in our Facebook group. That would be the kind of thing where you're sharing your one thing and your successes. It's been really helpful for me. Like I know different things motivate different people, but like, like I said, about two weeks ago, I decided that it's time. I'm going to start waking up at 530 and exercising every day. And one of the things that motivates me is thinking about telling people that I've accomplished it. And so all the first week I was thinking about telling the other members of our lab community at the end of the week, because I had told them that I was going to do this. And I kept thinking about, and here's the post. And I was drafting my post in my head as I was running every morning. And that helped motivate me and keep me going. So I think sharing it can be a really effective way to do that. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. It was really fun to hear more about it. We're going to include all the links we've mentioned today in the show notes. And I hope people will get started on their one thing. Awesome. The pleasure is ours. Thank you. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. 
head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me. And let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.